This morning, as part of the sermon, I'm going to put some pictures on the wall that have you think that they may be one thing, but they're another. Could we have the first side, slide, please? Is this a vase or are these people's faces? Oh, you're too smart this morning. You're awake. This one here is a little bit different. It's a little hard to see, but uh, there's a gentleman painting and his pain is part of the eye, and he's looking at the cabin on the left, and it's a very fascinating image. A lot of things going on in that image. Can we have the next one, please? This is the image taken from an adoption site. Is it, can we go back, please? What is that? Is it a dog? There's a man on one side, there's a woman on the left, and there's a baby in the foreground. There are six different images in this image of the elephant. There's a lot going on in this image. Can you see them all? Can you count them? Leave it up a little bit, please, Joel. you get six? Oh, you're good. That means you're going to get a lot out of the message today. I'm hopeful. Thank you, Joel. At first glance, images like this may be confusing, and I, I even thought about putting up the image of where's Waldo and see if we could find Waldo this morning, but it was more important that I preached than to find Waldo. But at first glance, sometimes these images, when they're simple, like the vase and the two faces, you pick it up pretty quick. But other times when you see more complex images, like the gentleman painting in the foreground of the cabin and it becomes the eyes of the person's face or the adoption one, you really have to stop and look and ask yourself, is it this or is it this? Because the images change depending on your perspective and your understanding. And so it is that way for us this morning as we come to the book of Ezekiel. I invite you to take a Bible from the pew rack in front of you and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Ezekiel is full of complex images that when you read them one way, you may have this image. When you read it another way, you may have another image. And down through the centuries, Ezekiel has been used by people to interpret not only the situation in Israel during Ezekiel's time, but also the prophetic landscape of the world as it moves forward to its fulfillment in God's plan. There are six visions in Ezekiel, each of them richly layered with imagery and dynamic things happening in them. And we sort of wonder, what's going on here? What's taking place here? And while the richness and layered imagery of Ezekiel makes it a fascinating read, it also makes it challenging to interpret. Sound biblical interpretation seeks to understand the meaning to the original writer and the original reader. 
and then attempts to apply that into the contemporary world in which the current day reader is living. And so this morning, let's lean into one of Ezekiel's best known visions, the visions of the Valley of Dry Bones. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verses one through 14. And I invite you to follow along as I read from the New International Version. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I responded, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Last week, we were in the book of Isaiah. We were listening to the prophet Isaiah. And as we listened to the prophet Isaiah, we learned that Isaiah was prophesying 200 years before the Babylonian exile and 800 years before the birth of Christ. And now as we move into the book of Ezekiel, we actually move into the time 200 years after Isaiah in which the people of Israel are in exile in Babylon and that's where Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is the proof that Isaiah's prophecy was accurate and timely. And so it is, we come to the book of Ezekiel today in the recognition that in the arc of God's story across the time, Isaiah spoke after an encounter with God and spoke truth. Isaiah spoke prophetically and his prophetic uttering came to be 200 years later in the life and the ministry of Ezekiel. Like Ezekiel, 
like Isaiah, Ezekiel had an encounter with God. And his ministry of prophecy occurs between 593 and 565 BC. Anyone remember that time? It was just a few days before I arrived on this planet. But Ezekiel has an encounter with God and prophesies between 593 and 565 BC about the current sin and the current idolatry of Israel. But he also goes on to talk about the promise of new life that will lead them out of the exile sometime in the future. When the book of Ezekiel opens in chapter one and Ezekiel describes his first vision. It is in the fifth year of Jehoiakim's exile. The temple is still standing in Jerusalem. The temple is still standing, but the glory of God is not in the temple at that time. We need to give consideration to what that means because the people of Israel believed that as long as the temple was in existence, as long as God's glory was in the temple, all would be fine. They were more concerned about the presence of God in the temple than they were about obedience to the presence of God. In other words, they took comfort about that which was physically present among them, but they wandered away from the commitment to that presence and what God had hoped for them. And so they rebelled. They rebelled in their sins of commission against God's law. They rebelled in their sins of omission against God's law. They chose their own path and wandered from God and they treated others with injustice and the community began to fragment and become a community that was interested only in oneself and one's self-interest. You may remember last week when we talked about Isaiah, we talked about what it meant to be holy. And we talked about justice as the language of a holy God. It's God's vocabulary. And I even said to us, we cannot be holy and ignore justice. Those are inseparable. And so we come to that place today recognizing now that the judgment of God has come upon Israel in Ezekiel's time and Ezekiel has been exiled to Babylon and Ezekiel is now five years into the exile and he's sitting on the bank of the river Chibar and God comes to him. And it's important that God comes to Ezekiel in Babylon because it represents that God had packed up his presence out of Jerusalem, out of the temple, and he went with his exiles into exile. Think about a loving God that goes into exile with his people. Think about a loving God that follows you where you go in your seasons of life that does not abandon you, that does not leave you, but goes with you. God left the temple in Jerusalem and his presence went into exile with the remnant of Israel. And he found a faithful man in Ezekiel. And Ezekiel had an encounter with God and Ezekiel is called by God to go and to prophesy 
and to preach. The departure of Yahweh's presence from the temple is a judgment on Judah, but it's also an act of compassion because God is still present in a different place, in a different time, with a different people. If we were to outline Ezekiel, it would look something like this. Chapters 1 to 11, accusations against Israel. Chapters 12 through 24, judgment on Israel. Chapters 25 to 32, judgment on the nations. Chapter 33, Jerusalem falls. Chapters 34 to 37, hope for Israel. Chapters 38 and 39, hope for the nations. Chapter 40 through 46, hope for all creation. Think about that. Remember when Pastor Brad spoke about David's lament in the Psalms and in his message a few weeks ago, he said, David laments frequently in the Psalms, but David always ends with a word of hope. In Isaiah, the word of God through Isaiah always ends with a word of hope. And in Ezekiel, the prophecies of Ezekiel end with prophecies of hope. With the promise of new life. Ezekiel's vision of chapter 37 illustrates the powerful imagery of Israel's spiritual state. They are in exile and they are spiritually dead. The vision of the Valley of Dry Bones is a stark, devastating expression of God's judgment upon the Israelite people for their rebellion and disobedience to their covenant with God. And in chapter 37, God transported Ezekiel into a valley floor whose floor is covered with a grotesque scene of the skeletal remains of a dead Israel. Ezekiel is led back and forth among the gruesome mass of bones that were once corpses but have rotted away into bones so dry there is no evidence or possibility of life. All of life has gone from these bones so that they represent a past that only points to death. And this valley of dry bones that Ezekiel is wandering in is a place of hopelessness and despair. And yet into the depths of death and despair, God asks Ezekiel an image-shifting question in verse 3. Can these bones live? I would imagine that's the last thing Ezekiel expected to hear when he was in the valley of dry bones with God. What do you think? What would you have expected as you wandered across that valley with those piles of dry, lifeless bones, bleached white in the heat of the sun, disconnected because the joints were no longer held together by tendons and connective tissue? And so over time, they just sort of fall apart. And the wind comes and shifts them around, and they don't even show skeletal remains anymore, but just piles of bleached white bones. And yet God comes into that place of devastation and says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever despaired of life and its circumstances so deeply and so desperately that you wondered if there would ever be life again? 
Do you have a loved one who used to follow the word of God and yet they've wandered so far and you wonder, can there ever be life again? Because they have gone so far, they have lived so perilously, they have lived a devastating life and their life is marred in such a way that they're no longer the person that you once knew and you wonder, can there ever be life again? Take this word today. In the midst of that valley, the Spirit of God comes and says, these bones can live again. Ezekiel says to us when God asks that question that not all is lost because the presence of God is present. And if the presence of God, presence of God is in you and in us and in me, and these bones can live again. There is hope and promise of life in the valley of dry bones. I don't know, what do you think? You're pretty quiet about that. Is that possible? Yes. It's why we exist. It's why we're here. It's why we gather for worship. We gather for worship not just to be inspired and to be fed. I hate that word, by the way. We gather together to be the people of God gathered in the hope of the promise of life that we can take outside these walls into a community that waits for the promise of life. That appears to be a valley of dry bones, but it is only that way because of choices and life and yet the Spirit of God says these bones can live again. Did you notice Ezekiel's response? I think Ezekiel was part politician. He didn't answer the question. He sidestepped the question. Only you, Lord, know the answer to that question. And he leaves Yahweh to answer his own question. God answers his own question with a call to action for Ezekiel. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord in verse four. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Have you seen the presence of the Lord come to someone living in the Valley of Dry Bones and see the Holy Spirit reconstitute their life? Have you seen that? I have. It gives me hope. It prompts me to not quit. It prompts me to believe in that which does not appear to be possible in the present moment because the Holy Spirit of God is at work beyond our knowledge. This divine two-part statement is reminiscent of God's two-part creative work in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. You remember when God created Adam, God created the form of Adam first, and then God breathed life that animated Adam. And we have that promise here in these verses. 
God's order to Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones moves Ezekiel from disorientation to orientation, from despair to hope. And so it is that God says, I will put the breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. We should note here that the presence of God in Ezekiel's vision is held together by the word, use of the word ruach. And it's there in that passage of scripture in those 14 verses 10 times in different forms. The word ruach can take the form of spirit. It can take the form of breath or the form of wind. And all three are represented in Ezekiel's vision here. If you go to the New Testament, the New Testament equivalent is the word pneuma. It is the word used on the day of Pentecost. The pneuma of God came like a mighty rushing wind into that room and swept across those people and animated them and gave them life. And on the day of Pentecost, what did they do? They left that room, they went out and spread across Jerusalem, and they spoke in the languages of all of the people present in Jerusalem, and from there the church began to spread outside the walls of the originating place. The breath of God. When Ezekiel begins to prophesy, to the bones, the creative force of God as Ruach begins to give them form in verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. This would make a great movie. Better than a zombie movie, by the way. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And God instructs Ezekiel to prophesy to the breath. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Think about what God has shown Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones and said to him in verses 11 to 14. The, shift, the scene has shifted three times from battlefield to cemetery to a community with life. That's better than any of the images we put up on the screen. God has restored the people of God from their lives of death into lives of purpose in the kingdom of God so that they might be the people of God. Can you remember that place, that time, perhaps even that day when the breath of God animated your life in a new way? Ruach came. And the dry bones of your past had a new purpose, had a new life, had a new hope. For the promise of new life was fulfilled in your own life in that moment. 
The vision of Ezekiel becomes his testimony. What he experienced in his own encounter with the Ruach of God in chapter 1 is what the prophet proclaimed to Israel. The promise of new life is rooted in the Ruach of God, that work of God that begins in us, even ahead of the breath. In our theology, we call it prevenient theology, God at work ahead of salvation. And we often can see it in the rearview mirror of life. We look back and say, yes, I see how God was ordering my life, how God was drawing me, how God brought people across my path and they influenced my thinking. And there came a day when the breath of God animated my life in a new way. Let's review the arc of the story of God for a moment. Remember we started on the first Sunday of January in Genesis chapter three. So in Genesis chapter one and three over here on the end in the very beginning. So you all are the beginning, okay? The Ruach of God hovers over the chaos that existed and brings order and the definition of days and brings flesh. And the Ruach of God breathes life into Adam and Eve. And then you go on to chapter 12 and the story of Abraham. And the Spirit of God says to Abraham, leave this place and I will make you the father of a great nation that will be more than the stars of the sky and the sands on the shore. And then we move on forward into Exodus chapter 3. Moses has an encounter with God. At the burning bush where the Spirit of God says, you need to go and do this. And then Moses said, why me? You realize that why me is the wrong answer to the call of God? Do you realize that all of your excuses are the wrong answer to the call of God? Anyone here in this room today having the Spirit of God come to you and whispering in your ear, your heart, saying, I want you to do this, I need you to step in this place, and you're arguing with God, don't raise your hand. We can talk about it later. If the Spirit of God is whispering in your heart, in the ears of your heart, asking you to do something that maybe you've never done, The Spirit of God is calling you into an encounter with a promise of new life. And if you say yes, the Ruach of God will animate you in a new way. Because God wants to move you to a place and to a people that needs the Spirit of God in you to be present among them. Wow. It's easy for us to say, I want Ron to be called, but don't bother with me, please. You know what my prayer is? Oh God, bother these people. And we know what happens as a result of Exodus chapter three and Moses goes. And you can follow that story. It's a remarkable story. 
Another point in the arc of the story of God, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel has an encounter with God when he is sent to choose the second king of Israel after Saul. And God says to Samuel, go down to the house over here, but don't do anything until I tell you. And he has 11 interviews. And he says every time, well, this must be the one. And God says, no, I'm looking at the heart. And David comes and is anointed to be the next king. And then we go on to Isaiah, who had an encounter with God to prophesy God's judgment against Israel in the form of the Babylonian exile. And then we come to the book of Ezekiel, 200 years later. And we're now only 600 years away from the birth of Christ. And 600 years later, Christ is born. And 33 years later, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes on Pentecost. And 2,000 years later, you and I are here in this place. Think about this, friends. You and I are part of the story of the Ark of God story in the same way that Ezekiel was, that Isaiah was, that Samuel was, that Moses was, that Abraham was, that Adam was. Because you and I live at a specific point in time in the arc of God's story, and God has placed us at that point in time, at this juncture in the history of humanity, and in the arc of God's story, to be the presence of God, to carry the promise of new life outside these walls into communities that desperately need the Ruach of God. And they're waiting because so many are dead like the Valley of Dry Bones. And we are part of the Ark of God's story in 2022. AD. Your presence in the ark of the story of God is just as important today as it was for Ezekiel during the exile, as it was for Isaiah ahead of the exile, as it was and go on back through the ark of God's story. And you and I are participants in the ark of God's story. Why does the vision in Ezekiel matter to us? Because we live in a world of death and despair. I read the news often, I watch the news, and I lament, and my heart and my mind says, oh God, how long, oh Lord? When I went down and walked with a couple of a hundred other people on a Sunday evening in response to say, let's end gun violence. And we stopped at the site where a young man was killed in front of his family home. How long, O oh Lord?
we live in a valley of dry bones. It's a contemporary experience. And we're called to be in that place. The vision of Ezekiel matters because it is the very heart of biblical theology of God. The Valley of Dry Bones vision matters because it tells us who God is and how God thinks about death because God wants to give the promise of new life. God moves beyond despair to breath, to wind, to spirit. That's the God who breathed life in us. This vision matters because the mighty work of God in the breath of God is the promise of life for the church. It shapes our ecclesia, our theology of church. It means that we are the called out ones. We are called out and separated from that place of death to live life, but we are to be in that place as the church so that the breath of God can come because the people of God have moved outside and off the property at 3700 Sierra Madre Boulevard and into the community because the breath of God wants to upset the community. The breath of God, the Ruach of God is resistance to the systems of power that have created the valley of dry bones that exists. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you at home, and I together, are God's pledge that when he animated us, he can animate them with the promise of new life. The breath of God is the promise of new life for the world out there. Will you go? Will you go? Will you go? Will you go? Will you listen to the voice of God troubling your spirit? Maybe causing a little anxiety. I don't know how to do that. That's the worst excuse ever. I've never done that before. All of our excuses matter not to the God who provides. And so I say to us this morning, may the Ruach of God come and animate our spirit and our vision for the community in a new way so that we might see life again in places where life is missing. Amen. Let's stand together. Would you receive this benediction? Oh, Father, let us not forget what power you've placed within us. And even more, let us not forget that you've equipped us to use it for your glory. Help us today 
right here, right now, to stir up the dry bones within us, to call ourselves to come alive so that we may be able and ready to speak forth life and resurrection in your name. Thank you for trusting us and inviting us to this incredible work. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Go with the promise of life, my friends. Go.